It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Habs Culture, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Habs Culture and on Twitter at Habs underscore culture to stay on track with news and updates. Episode 72 of the Habs Culture Podcast. My name is Justin Schwartz, and I'm alongside my good friend, who I'm alongside with every single week, Liam Baum. Liam, I'm not even going to say anything further. How are we doing today? How are we doing? We're doing good. Another another great day. Just not a great day for the Habs, or being a Habs fan in general. But that's part of the experience. Well, it's definitely been tough. It's definitely been tough. Um, another three losses out of four games, but three losses where they gave up 19 goals in three games. I mean, we're talking about some some big losses, um, which led to some line changes from Marty St. Louis, a few comments from Marty St. Louis. We saw Arbor Jacki back in the lineup. We saw Slapkovsky on the second line. Saw a lot of uh, a lot of movement, but I think this was anticipated by most. I don't think we're too too surprised. But last night. January 25th, the Montreal Canadiens had a big win against the New York Islanders at home with a win of 4-3 to three against Patrick Roy, coach, new coach of the New York Islanders. Um, we didn't get to talk about that last time because it hadn't happened yet, but he was named by Lou Lamorello as the coach of the New York Islanders, head coach. And in comes Roy, out goes Lane Lambert. The Islanders are obviously looking for a little bit of a spark down the stretch. They need a little bit less of a conservative approach and more of a electric, offensive-minded guy that might bring them a little bit more success. So we'll see how that goes. I'm sure it's something that we'll monitor down the stretch. But nonetheless, a good game from the Canadians. But the one thing that stood out to me, Liam, was the penalty taken by Brendan Gallagher last night. Yeah, that 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 one was very surprising and disappointing at the same time. And I think Gallagher realized that he had made a mistake and made a comment about saying if he was his own teammate, he would tell himself to wisen up and just realize what he did because he's a leader on this team and and shouldn't be making those, you know, boneheaded plays. It was very useless sticking out the elbow and injuring one of the Islanders' best defensemen in Adam Pellick. I believe it was Adam Pellick. Yep. And um, yeah, overall, you know, we're probably expecting a suspension around five games. I don't think it could be longer than five games because it's not an in-hearing, uh, what's it called? An in-hearing. An in-person hearing, yeah. Yeah, in-person hearing. Um, so it'll probably be around four games. It's a first-time offense, so that gives him the benefit of the doubt. But... Once again, very stupid play by Gallagher, but at least he understands his mistake and hopefully will correct himself for the future. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that. I saw that live and I was like, that was just something else. Like it's one thing to get in his way and maybe, you know, try and clip him, but he really clipped him with the elbow, um, evidently to the head. And, you know, I've been seeing it all over Twitter. There's not one person defending him. So I think everyone's no. in agreement that it was a bad play. Um, I think he might get the maximum amount of games that he's allowed, which would be five in this case. I know he's a first-time offender, but still that, in my opinion, seemed malicious. I know that he doesn't play with that intent, but it's it's a very, very tough look, especially for a guy that's been a leader on this team and one of the only guys remaining that's played on this team for the last, what is it now, almost 10 years. So it's tough to see. It happens. Um, unfortunate that it happened that way and it happened to that player. But anyway, we move on. 
But nonetheless, so after Gallagher took that penalty, Montreal was still up three to one. The Islanders proceeded to score two power play goals. Noah Dobson accumulated three assists, three power play assists. And then Montreal responded with a quick goal by none other than Sean Monaghan in the dying minutes of the third to put the Canadians up four to three and secure the victory. Monaghan's been on another level. The last time we talked about him, we were talking about the potential trade, the potential return, and potential destinations. I think his stock has risen since that last conversation. And I think that there's a lot of people, maybe even myself, that are even a a little bit more convinced that he should stay a Montreal Canadian. Now, at what cost? Right? Because if you're returning a first, uh, not a first overall, a first round pick and a prospect, I think that that's more than worth it. But you also have to ask yourself the question, where is this team at? What are they expecting to get? What kind of pick are they expecting to get, especially since it's going to be from a team that's contending? So there's obviously a lot of questions that are floating around. I do think he'll be dealt by the deadline, but uh, that's only a few weeks away. So we have a little bit of time to uh, to speculate on that. Liam, do you have any uh, immediate thoughts about Sean, Man- Sean Monaghan as of late? And, um, you know, has has this allowed you to, has this trade, sorry, has this, has his play allowed you to maybe cement your 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 thoughts on whether he should be traded or kept at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, we we touched base upon it last week, but coming in to this week or this past week, Monaghan had four points in five games. And in the last four, he's had seven points. So that makes it 11 points in the last nine games, just further proving himself that he's still a very reliable player in the NHL. And with that $2 million contract, any contending team any team that wants to go out and you know contend for the stanley cup should have an eye on sean monahan he's like we mentioned last week a, a terrific middle six guy who's clearly able to play with anybody and you know hasn't had a very concrete line this season you know he's been playing with a lot of different players and he's just always finding a way to succeed whether that be five on five on the power play just anywhere in the lineup so yeah it's going to be very interesting as we inch closer to the trade deadline and see what you know his value is and what he can potentially bring back. So I'm excited to hear some of the rumors. You know, maybe we can review some trades on Cap Friendly because the fans love to submit trades. Sometimes they're extremely outlandish, but it's going to be exciting. I, I'm excited to see. I hope the Canadians. I, I like Sean Monham, but I hope the Canadians deal him if they get the right package back. Absolutely. Very, very valid on your part, Liam. Um, Let's touch base on Patrick Waugh for a second. I know we brought him up briefly, but I think that that's huge news um, out of the NHL. We said that the NHL wasn't a league that, you know, created a lot of controversy, created a lot of drama. There wasn't a lot. It's one of those, you know, it's not the NBA or the NFL where there's constantly, you know, news coming out about crazy things, about things going on around the league. But Patrick Waugh, after seven years of not being an NHL head coach, the last time he was an NHL head coach was in 2015 or 16, I believe. He was the coach of the Avalanche. He coached there for three seasons. Then he stepped down. And I think a lot of management teams lost a lot of confidence in him because they didn't know if hiring Patrick Waugh would lead to maybe other GMs or other management you know, keep keep people in the management team losing their jobs because what Raw wanted a lot of power. He wanted a lot, he wanted to have the final say in a lot of decisions. So I think a lot of people lost confidence in that. But I think that as Eric Engel says it best, I think that it was a humbling experience for Patrick Roy. I think that he thought that once he stepped down, he would have calls from every other team in the in the league, which was not true. And he landed with a team in New York led by Lou Lamorello, which to me is very, very interesting considering he's such a conservative guy. I don't think he's, you know, he's never a guy that goes out at the deadline and makes massive acquisitions, aside from last year where he acquired Bo Horvat, but he's always had a very, very mild approach to the way that he wants to lead his team. And he goes out and makes this huge splash. So what are your initial thoughts on Patrick Wall behind the bench? Do you think that that's a good move? Maybe it, you know, activates some guys like Barzell and Dobson, or do you think that it might hurt the team considering that they've always had this conservative way of playing hockey. You know, 
just going back to it quickly, Patrick Hua won a, won a Jack Adams award in the three years he coached. So clearly had the tools to do it. Personally, when I think of Patrick Hua, I think of a guy like, not like Tortorella, but adopts a similar style where he's more of a, a vintage type coach. And he, again, he likes to have that power and, you know, shows it on the ice right away in the first practice. The guy's yelling at guys to skate circles. So it seems like he's very passionate. I'm sure all coaches are, but he really displays that he's very passionate about coaching. And I'm sure he's happy to be back. He was very successful with the Quebec Ramparts in the QMJHL. So I think the players will like this change. I don't know how Lane Lambert was a coach exactly, but it didn't seem like he was the perfect fit. We all thought, you know, maybe the offense would unlock a bit more, but not much really changed. It was more so the same Islanders every single season kind of struggling to score goals. But, you know, in the past few games with Patrick Roy, they've been pretty, pretty solid competing against top teams. They lost to Vegas, I believe, but their last few games have been pretty good. So it's going to be exciting to see. Semyon Varlamov actually said that when he saw Patrick Roy got hired, he had goosebumps. So you can't really get a better goalie coach or a head coach that was a top goalie in the league other than Patrick Waugh. So I'm sure a lot of the players are really going to enjoy this. Absolutely. And I think it was Bo Horvath that said that they, that he felt that in their first game, that it felt like Patrick Waugh was there on the ice with them. Yeah. So we've talked about this before, whether it was the hiring of St. Louis or whether it's Patrick Waugh, some of these guys that command a lot of respect bring out, you know, a, a new dimension out of some of these players. And I think we might see that whether it's Barzell Dobson or even Sorokin, right? A, 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 a young goalie who's probably at the top of the league in terms of, in terms of goalies right now, but maybe he can find a new dimension to his game under Patrick Roy. Yeah. And what's, it's nice to see also that it's not the recycling of the old boys club where, you know, the coach, the old coach gets fired and a new one comes in right away. That was just on another NHL team. So although Patrick Roy did coach, in the NHL for a little bit, it brings in kind of a new face into the NHL again, which is cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we'll move on to a different topic. So despite the Habs being, you know, one in three in the last week, they still sit um, near the bottom of the league at this point in time. Um, something that I think I mentioned before, but that a lot of us actually expected. Um, with that being said, they just, just to put in perspective, they sit um, above only six teams in the NHL. So they're currently, what is that? I, I don't have it next to me. What is that? 26th in the league, if I'm not mistaken, or 25th in the league. But nonetheless, I think that, again, like I said, it was highly anticipated. This team's going to bottom out. I don't think that they could compete for 82 games consistently at a high level. Um, I think at this point in time, Habs fans are looking towards the draft, right? And the trade deadline. I think we're looking towards guys like Macklin Celebrini, it's a very defensive heavy draft, but there's still guys like Ivan Demidov, who's, you know, maybe maybe the second coming of um, Matvey Michkov, who the Habs missed out on in last year's draft. So there's a lot to look forward to. Hopefully the Habs brass can capitalize on this pick because I think, and Liam, this is another conversation I want to have. I think that this pick is really, really important towards their rebuild. Because if you look at it, if they're going to draft inside the top five and take maybe an elite forward, whether it's Celebrini, whether it's Demidov, or whether it's a guy like Caden Lindstrom, a massive center who's putting up some really, really good numbers in the WHL, I think, with the medicine hat. My question here is that if they hit on one of those picks, and then all of a sudden next year, you know, you have your guys, you have Slav, you have Suzuki, you have Caulfield, you have a top five pick from this year's draft, Doc and Newhook. You have a healthy decor, which is clearly maturing as the season goes on. You have a guy in Sam Montombo who's making taking strides. Do you think that there's a potential for this Montreal Canadiens team to take a massive step forward next season? I, I think that is definitely in the realm of possibilities. Obviously hoping for a full bill of health, but recently it's felt like it's hard to say because it's a little bit early, but it's the first time in a long time that the Canadians are finally starting to hit on some picks because I saw a tweet a couple days ago where someone had tweeted in like 20 i don't know 2016 maybe the habs potential second line like we're doing right now but saying that the habs potential second line would be mccarran shareback and and charlotte udon so all these first first round picks i know i don't think charlotte udon was but anyways all these first round picks that just never panned out and the habs were really robbed of 
you know, some skilled guys. They just they just never had it. And right now in the recent past, it seems like we're finally gathering some skilled guys. And if we can add to that with a guy like Demidov, Lindstrom, or uh, Berkeley Cadden, who's also pretty solid, I think the Habs lineup will shape up really well. And it's just going to be really exciting to see how all those pieces can fit in together. And hopefully that will that will move on into the next year and we'll see a lot of development from those guys. Yep, absolutely. It sucks that we were robbed of so many missed games from Doc in his first two seasons with the Canadians. Obviously, that's just unlucky at this point, but I think we're really, really excited. And as you can see, I'm very, very excited. I don't know if you guys could see, but I, I purchased my Kirby Doc jersey right in the background there. It's on my wall. So Move a, move have, a little uh, to the left. Here we move go. Little, it, well, there it's, we it's, go. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's opposite, so it's messing with me. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I think I think there's a lot to be excited about, and obviously, I think that this season is a write-off. But nonetheless, I'll let you take it away, and we'll, that will let us transition into our stats. Because even though it's a write-off of a season in terms of maybe making the playoffs, we still got some guys producing. So take it away, Liam. Yeah, I'm the stats guy. So you are the <laughs> last, stats guy. Yeah. So we'll go over the last four games. Uh, that's what we've been covering the last few or last episode. So. Last four games, Sean Monaghan leading the way, seven points, looks beautiful. Cole Caulfield also been stepping up really big, three goals, two assists, five points in the last four. Nick Suzuki, point per game, four and four, and then it kind of drops off there. Slavkovsky still still got two and four, and we were talking about it last time, if he continued to keep up this half a point per game pace, you know, it'd, it'd look really good, and, you know, he's still doing it. Minus eight, but... We'll just uh, we'll pass over that that stat. Um, in terms of some full season paces, Cole Caulfield definitely getting his numbers back up there on pace for about 30 goals. So definitely a great bounce back in the last 25 games, I'd say. And then Nick Suzuki on pace for a 70-point season. Has he hit 70 in ever? No. No, so that would be pretty impressive if we can finally see a Montreal Canadian hit 70 since Max Domi back in go. 2018. So just to put in perspective for you, Liam, um, the most was uh, that, that Nick Suzuki has hit was 66 last season in a full 82 game season. Um, like you said, on pace for 70. So to, to break his original, um, I guess his personal record there. So that would be nice. Again, you know what? Like at the end of the day, we're looking at individual development right now. And if, if these guys continue to get better while the Canadians continue to add pieces, I don't think that there's much that Canadians fans can complain about right now. Um, I was going to ask you too, it seems as if it came out today that there's some rumblings around the potential of the Columbus Blue Jackets and Yarmo Kekalainen shopping a couple players, including Patrick Laine. Yeah. Now, with that being said, it. is that something that you would like to see the Habs indulge in potentially, whether it's at the deadline or in the offseason? And what would you, I in an ideal world, give up to acquire him if you were interested? Yeah, so this news came out about a day ago that, you know, Columbus, bottom of the standings, very tough season once again, bit of a dumpster fire over there are interested in taking some calls on Ivan Provorov, who they just recently signed in the past, or traded for in the offseason. And then, obviously, the big old star, I guess, Patrick Laine, who personally, I'm still a fan of. I don't know about you. He's carrying an $8.7 million cap hit. I, when does that expire? Was it was it a long-term? I don't, I don't think it was I'll a long-term. That, I'll pull yeah, that so, up Again... Patrick Laine was an elite, was, was, emphasizing was, an elite goal scorer. Can't stay healthy at all now. But this is a guy that can come in, clearly needs some new scenery, and take his game back to where it was before. Goal scoring is a rarity in the NHL. To have one guy who's able to put up 45, 50 goals. And Patrick Laine has done it. He's put up 40-plus and still has that ability. You don't just lose that ability out of nowhere. He's still only 25 years old. But Patrick Laine would absolutely be a guy that the Canadians should add at the right price. And we were brainstorming a little bit. 
And personally, what I think would be fair, just as an overview, giving up a prospect on the higher end, we'll say A minus to A prospect, a B prospect or a roster player who's still relatively young and a first round pick. And we came up with the idea that Josh Hua, Jordan Harris, and a first round pick could be what it takes to get Patrick Kleinen. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a very fair trade. Um, you look at him, and just to give you an update, $8.7 million for the next three years, including this one. So his contract, he becomes UFA in 2026-2027. Not that much longer. I think that he has a lot to prove in these next three years. Now, to come to a team like Montreal, where if you want to call it a reclamation project, we can all day. We did it with Kirby Doc. We're trying to do it with Alex Newhook right now. And I think that I think that's a, that's something that Kent Hughes really takes a lot of pride in bringing in guys that maybe are underperforming on their respective teams and trying to get the get their game back to the level that it or or not get it back to the level that it was at, but maybe get it you know unlock uh, unlock another dimension in their game. And I think that Line A, like we said, pure goal score, absolute pure goal score. And I think if you add him to this Montreal Canadiens lineup, you're looking at a team. That now you're 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 looking at a team that's now accelerating their rebuild a little bit because you're really making that top six deep, and that allows you to drop some other guys down the lineup and make your third and fourth lines a little bit stronger. And I don't think that line A being in Columbus benefits him that much anymore. I mean, injuries have he's been injury riddled for the last three years of his career. Yeah. But if he can get healthy and you set him up properly with the right line mates, I don't see a reason why he can't be. He can't get back to the form that he was at prior. And it, it makes so much sense just because he's in that range that it seems, the age range that Kent Hughes is looking for in that like 23 to 25-year-old player age range that can all come up together and be a team that's very successful in a couple of years. So to me, it looks perfect. There's enough playmakers on this team that will get him the puck and finally have, we, we'd have like an elite, elite goal scorer. I'm not saying Caulfield's not and doesn't have the potential to do that, but a guy who's established himself as a top goal scorer in the league at one time. So it just makes sense to me. It just makes a lot of sense. I have a question for you. Let's rebut this. Let's pretend that I'm the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I say to you, Kent Hughes, there's absolutely no chance that this trade gets through. Zero shot. A first, wah, Jordan Harris does not cut it at this point in time. If he comes back to you and says, I want an A-plus prospect. I want Lane Hudson. I want David Reinbacker. Are those guys completely off the table for Kent Hughes at this point in time if you were in his seat? If I'm taking Kent Hughes's brain and ideology right now, probably they're they're definitely not on the table. I'll tell you that because it seems like they really believe in their picks. And so that's why they'd probably say no to Reinbacker. And then Lane Hudson has just showed way too much progression and similarities to some of these top defensemen like Adam Fox and Cal McCarr that you can't. You just can't dish a guy like that. So I'm going to say no. Personally, if I was the GM, I'd also say no, just because I believe in what we've we've drafted and the what the pr progression has looked like so far and what we're looking to achieve with a strong decor in the future. So I'm going to say no. And this is just another point I wanted to add in before, but if we're adding line A, that's bringing in another guy who's over six foot four on the forward course. So you got... Kirby Dak, you got Uri Slavkovsky, and you've got Patrick Laine. Those are some big boys. And this goes back to Vegas's formula to winning. You need big guys to win. I don't, you know, personally agree that you always need big guys, but bringing in big guys like that, it just makes it so much tougher to play against. So if he's out there, you got to just try. You just got to try and get him. I think a good mix does the trick um, for for the Canadians here. I think um, I think you're absolutely right. I think you can have a guy like Cole Caulfield, you can have guys like Raphael Harvey Pinard, but you can also have guys like Patrick Line, Kirby Doc, and Uri Slavkovsky. And I think that that gels really, really nicely. 
Um, Liam, I'm just going to take a moment here to shout out our sponsors at DraftKings. New customers can bet five bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Guys, the Canadians are playing this weekend against the Oilers at home, and that's a game that I know people will want to get in on the action. You can check on all the lines, odds, and even some of the more prominent player props, whether it's to score a goal or to make a certain amount of saves. Even the Leafs are playing against the Avs, which is supposed to be a very highly anticipated game, and I don't want any of you to miss out on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the N- of the National Hockey League. All rights reserved. The suspension did come out for Gallagher. We're looking at five games for Brendan Gallagher. Suspension-wise. The maximum allowed for a non-in-person hearing, so a out-of-person hearing. I don't know how you would say that. <laughs> an online um, hearing. <laughs> an online hearing, a phone call, whatever it would be. But that's five games. I mean, justifiable? Absolutely. Does it make sense? Absolutely. We'll keep it short and sweet because I don't think that there's anything to debate on there. Other news around the league, Liam? Owen Tippett? Eight years, correct me if I'm wrong. Eight years, 6.2 million. Yep, eight years. Eight years, 6.2 million for Owen Tippett. Um, definitely don't Giroux mind trade. it. Yep, part, part of the Giroud trade. trade. And he played on the world, the Canadian World Junior Team. And he played, you know, combined about 90 games with the Panthers. Only put up about, you know, a little, little, a little bit less than 40 points in those 90 games with Florida. So, you know, he had a, a, a rough couple of... Uh, couple seasons at the start but again only 24 years old um he's turned it on as of late last year 49 points in 77 games this year 30 points in 46 unfortunately he was just injured but they decided to lock him up uh for the longer term if we're comparing this contract to the likes of suzuki caulfield I mean, Jack Hughes that contract's off the table because that's just an absolute gem of a contract but Matt Boldy how are we feeling about this contract? 6.2 million, eight years. I think it's good. I honestly think it's pretty good. Just with uh, how he's been playing recently and the steps he's been taking, he could really be that top. I mean, I'm sure they're expecting him to be a top six guy, giving him 6.2. But as the cap continues to go up, I think this is going to look like a really, really good contract. And the Flyers are building this identity. And I think Owen Tippett fits in perfectly. And uh, as we talked about last episode, and make sure to check out the TikTok. I think he's a good fit under John Tortorella as well. So yeah. clearly, uh, clearly, it takes a certain person, a certain style of play to cater to the way that he coaches. And I think that he's fit in pretty, pretty well so far. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Liam, in particular? If we want to go over some Habs news really quick, some good signs today that Alex Newhook began skating. I don't know what that means for how much longer he's going to be out. But obviously, really nice to have him coming back, hopefully relatively soon. And I don't think we talked about it either. We t- Well, I-, I mentioned at the top of the show that Arbor Jacki was back in the NHL. He made his appearance, his first appearance back two games ago against the Senators. And then he played last night against the Islanders, took two late penalties, as well as a penalty in the game before that. Now, are we going to sit here and, you know, harp on that all day? No, he's a young defenseman and he's playing his style of play and he's bound to take a few penalties here and there. I don't think Marty St. Louis was very impressed. And from what I heard, or at least what I saw on Twitter, is Arbor Jack, I went up and apologized to the um, the, the, the coaching staff because, because of the penalties that he took. And I don't think he was very impressed with himself either. 
but we still have a little bit of a conundrum on the D line because we have Arbor Jacki, Jaden Strubel's been playing some good hockey, so he deserves to stay. Kovacevic is in and out. Jordan Harris, uh, Gooley, Mathis, and Savard. So we're rotating, and and they just recently sent Justin Barron down um, to the AHL for we'll call it a conditioning stint, but maybe just you know to find his identity, to find his find his game again. I guess my question to you is Liam, is that in an ideal world, out of these defensemen, if we're looking down the line, let's say even next year two years from now, who are some of the defensemen that you'd like to still see on this decor? Now we can exclude Savard because we'd hope that he maybe gets traded and then his contract expires. But the rest of them, Matheson, Gooley, Struble, Jacki, Kovacevic, Barron, and Jordan Harris, who are some of the guys that you'd like to see in the longer term? Obviously, we're going to be seeing the Rhinebacker, Hudson guys come up. So it's a tight... uh a tight squeeze for those six seven d who are trying to make it to the nhl and personally i think matheson's going to be gone relatively soon whether that be next year or the year after that he's a good vet right now on the squad but not much of the lasting value as some of our younger guys um you know personally i'm really enjoying struble like we talk about every pretty much every it feels like every episode just very noticeable on the ice um other than that like it feels like it's very tough to say Gooley, obviously we're going to be seeing he's uh he's the project the first round pick that we also just need to keep because he's got so much potential but on that bottom pair it's going to be a toss-up with with jack eye kovacevic baron mayu and harris it's going to be and harris yeah exactly it's all going to depend on who's going to blossom into a better player who's going to develop as you know it, it's a bottom pairing d but you still need to have some reliability and you know be able to show that you can kill penalties and not make too many mistakes because at the end of the day the team that makes the least mistakes is going to be the most successful i'm curious to hear what you have to say about that i don't disagree at all um look i think i think you can probably I, I think I could say confidently that Savard will probably be gone by the end of this season or in the offseason somehow. He has two years left, including this one, and then he becomes a UFA. So maybe he sticks it out. But I think at one point, you got to think that Hughes is going to try and push him out the door because, like you said, Hudson might play games at the end of this year. Rhinebacker is going to be in North America next year. And then you have a guy like Mayu who's been tearing it up in the AHL. You got to get these young guys games at one point or another. Leading to that, I think that that means that Kovacevic might be out the door, which is totally fine too. He's on a cheap contract, but right now I think that he's more of a placeholder than anything. Yeah. I think the real conversation is going to be between Jordan Harris and Arbor Jacki. I really, really do. Which one of those guys is going to cement their spot? And even Struble, honestly. I love Struble. I think he's playing good ho hockey. But I think that if you're going to expect that at one point your decor is going to look something like Gooley, Hudson, Reinbacher, Mayu. Like, there's two spots there for three guys. Even Baron, you have to throw into there because he was yeah, the first sorry. round pick. Yeah, sorry, you have to. You have to. And they're and they, they're not giving up on him by any means, right? They're sending him back to the HL because they want him to get better. They believe yeah. in him. They're not. They're not just throwing him to the wolves here. So that's two spots for four guys. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong, but out of those four guys, I'm pretty sure that Baron's the only righty. Um. Harris is a lefty. Uh, I think he's, but he plays his off offside sometimes. Jack guy plays a little bit of both, but they're all primarily left-handed, yeah. left shot defensemen. If you mentioned Kovacevic, he is a right. Right, but I'm, I'm assuming that he's out the door. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, but again, like you're talking about two spots for four guys on that last pair. Every guy brings a different dimension, but it's really going to be a battle. It's really going to be a battle. Nonetheless, Mayu still needs to prove himself and prove that he deserves a spot, just like Hudson and Rybacker do, even though they're playing something ex exceptional hockey um, outside the NHL, but they still need to prove that they're NHL defensemen and quality defensemen at that. But yeah, if, if it came down to it for me, I'll be completely honest with you, Liam. I'm taking Struble and Harris. And I know that that might be a controversial-ish take, but... I'm not a massive fan of Barron's game. And obviously, it, he needs some refining. But I'm not a fan of the game overall so far. And I think that for Arbor Jacki, 
I think that he does bring more than just, you know, a gritty fighting style of play. But I think that he's going to have to show that he's more stable than guys like Harris yeah. and Jaden Struble. Because no, I, those guys I, play a very simple style of hockey, and that's all you need on your third pair. I agree. I agree. But I think Habs fans are deeply in love with the style that Jack Eye brings. You know, Toronto has a guy, I'm not going to say exactly like Jack Eye, but Toronto brought in Simon Benoit, who plays that physical role. And everyone's going to be saying, like, oh, it's such an ir- irrelevant player. But at the end of the day, this guy is playing very solid hockey because he brings that physical presence. And if you have six skilled D on the point who don't provide any physical presence, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get beat in battles down low, and you're just not going to be a successful team. It's, again, going back to the Vegas formula. They had these big guys, these big dogs on the point who aren't afraid to block shots and step up and make that big hit. So I personally like having Jack Eye. Maybe he's not the consistent bottom pairing guy. Maybe he's a 7th D that slots in when something's going south or a guy gets hurt. But I think just as a Habs fan, you know, it's very refreshing to see a guy like that. And I saw a tweet the other day. Again, it was, <laughs> would you accept one-for-one trade Jack Eye for Lafreniere? And... There was 38% of people who said no. So that just shows you how deeply in love Habs yeah. fans are with Jack Eye. Look, in that in that sense, like in my personal opinion, I'm taking that trade all day. Now, yeah. I don't know if we're in agreement there or not, but the truth of the matter is, Liam, I agree with you that he brings some something that a lot of these other players don't. But let me point something out to you. Over the span that Jack Eye has spent his time in the AHL, aside from maybe two games. The one against this, the first Sens game that was in Ottawa last week and maybe the one in Buffalo or the one in Montreal where Montreal got roughed up by Buffalo big time. I really don't see a lot of, like our the Habs players are not getting tossed around. I no. mean, you look at this decor and I'm not saying that Jack Eye doesn't bring something. I think his fighting is incredible and he brings a different type of energy and I think all, and that resonates with all the players. But Gooley's a hard-hitting defenseman, underratedly hard-hitting defenseman. Struble along the boards, you don't mess with that guy. Kovacevic is a bigger body. Harris is a little bit undersized, but whatever. Savard right now is playing, you know, he's, he's a tougher guy. He's not physical, but he's a tougher guy. Like, all I'm saying is that, yes, Jack, I might bring something, but at what cost? And what I mean at what cost is that who is sitting if he's in the lineup? And is is what he bringing, whatever he's bringing to the lineup, is it that, is it so substantially positive that it's worth leaving a guy on the bench or even trading him, you know, for uh, for pennies on the dollar? Yeah. So all I'm saying is that, yes, Jack, I bring something, but, you know, we heard just recently that teams were inquiring about Jack, uh, inquiring about Jack, I, and the Habs shut it down right away. Can Hugh shut it down right away? Now, do I think that that's the right thing to do i think that that shows that you believe in the kid and that you or you believe in the guy and that you believe in his capabilities but is jack i really part of this long-term plan with the canadians i don't know it's a question we'll definitely have to come back on you know maybe next year when we see some more development out of them but you know playing in laval definitely isn't a bad case right now to develop because they're on an absolute heater, by the way. 9-1 or 9-0-1, I think, in their last 10. Josh Hua still putting up about a point-per-game pace out there. And also another, you know, cool little story, although it's it's, it's a bit of minor news, but Casimir Kaskisuo, <laughs> I hope I'm not butchering that, 4-0 for the Laval. Both their goalies were doing absolutely terrible, so they bring in this guy, Hadn't played in like a year. He was playing in the SHL, but hadn't gotten a contract. And I think he was like a backup. So not a lot of time, but he's rocking a 1.96 and a 948 in four games. Wow. So Laval's kind of uh, looking pretty good. And I've they're dealing with a lot TikTok. of injuries. Yeah, he has a TikTok. He's, uh, he like vlogs his life as a goalie. So it's kind of cool to get the little insights of behind the scenes. So that's you know, awesome. Yeah, it's cool to see. Maybe maybe he steps up into the NHL. Too early to tell. But there you go. Laval is definitely a good place to develop. They're sitting in a playoff spot right now, which is nice. 
So hopefully we'll get to see some more action from them later in the season and uh, some of our players get into the playoffs in the AHL. No, absolutely. I think that is important because we see what kind of, uh, what being, co- it's, it's a different game altogether, but we see the value in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Liam, we're at around the, the 30, the, almost the 40 minute mark. I say we just do a quick overview of, you know, some NHL stats, see where players are at uh, around the league. Um, if we just go to the standings really quickly, just an update on the standings. Um, as most of you know, or maybe don't, but, you know, two of the top three teams in the league are Canadian teams right now, the Vancouver Canucks and the Winnipeg Jets. So incredibly impressive. Um, I was listening to the Jeff Merrick show. And the one thing is that the Canucks are definitely going to be for the first time in a long time confirmed buyers at the deadline. So who knows? Do they go out and get Jake Gensel? Do they go out and get Elias Lindholm? They're going to try and make, make a splash because they have a really, really good team in front of them. And all of a sudden, Edmonton is, uh, I think, right outside the top 10 in the league. If uh, For some reason, it doesn't show me the, <laughs> the standing numbers here, but I think that they're right outside the top 10. So they've, uh, they've turned it around uh, immensely there. So that's cool to see. Otherwise, the same old, same old Boston Bruins, Big Bad Bruins doing their thing. Colorado still at the top of the table. Vegas has dropped off a little bit. Yeah. Um, without Jack dealing, Eichel, granted. Yeah, dealing with a lot of injury. You know, goalie. Their goalies are a bit banged up and they lost Shea Theodore for a long time. So you can't count them out, count count them out, but definitely a bit of a drop off recently. Yep. And um and New Jersey kind of made their way back to the middle of the pack somehow, still missing Jack Hughes. And the LA Kings have fallen off completely. Yeah. Completely. Just vertical, complete collapsed. vertical nosedive down the standings. Absolutely. Two, five and, yeah, two wins in like their last 15 or, Incredible. or 13. Ridiculous. And you know what? I think we I think I think you talked about it primarily. We both said that they'd be at the top of the table, probably in their respective division. But one thing that was holding the back is the goaltending. And yeah. Talbot Talbot had a great run to start the year, obviously dipped a little bit or a lot. <laughs> David Riddick hasn't been able to hold down the fort as the backup because Phoenix Copley's on IR. But I think that this might be something that affects them down the stretch. But Liam, screaming on Jake the spot Allen. here. Yeah, Jake. But there's a lot of teams that are screaming for Jake Allen right now. But apparently, yeah. apparently no one's uh, no one's um, biting the bullet. No one's putting a big enough worm on the hook right now. That's the problem. <laughs> That's a good but one. That's a very let me put one. something out for you. If there's one team down the stretch, we talked about this already, but I don't think you gave me a bold enough of a take. Okay, you want me to give you a there's, bold one? Well, well, when I say bold, bold but potentially realistic. Okay. One team okay. down the stretch that can make some noise. We're halfway through the season. Remember, the St. Louis Blues, when they won the Cup, were la- at some point spent uh, parts of January last in the league. If there was one team that you could see making a comeback or a potential playoff push, which team are you taking? You know, just going over the standings here, I think the the right answer here and the answer I'm going to give is the Pittsburgh Penguins because they have all the tools to do it. They have obviously the strongest or one of the strongest top six. They've been lacking on the power play, so that would have to step up big time. And then they'd probably have to go out and trade for a top six forward. Because they're lacking scoring and they need it right. They need a little shakeup. They got the goalies, although they're not playing great. They just have all the tools necessary to make that jump. And I think that's one of maybe two or three teams that have the potential to jump up that aren't in a playoff spot right now and make the playoffs. Your take? I like it. I like it. The one team that I was actually a little bit maybe too bullish on in the off season that I'm going to continue to promote, even though they fell off very, very hard since last year after making the playoffs for first time in franchise history is the Seattle Kraken. Um, they sit 22nd in the league. They're just over 500, but you know what? I think the way that their roster is constructed, I think it promotes a potential I think that they could be one of those consistent teams down the line because they're getting scoring from a lot of different places. They're getting a little bit healthier. Philip Grubauer back off IR. Eberly is back in the lineup, and so is Jaden Schwartz. Um, they're waiting for Beniers to come back, but you know Jared McCann's playing some good hockey. They still have Yanni Gord down the middle. They they have Burakovsky, who's back from injury as well. Like I'm naming a lot of guys that you know some people might call mid, but nonetheless, in this league, a lot of mid is not a bad thing. 
No. And um, I think that when it comes down to games played in this league and, you know, prove it games, I think that they have the roster to get back into a playoff spot. But my second choice would be Arizona, who sits um, one spot ahead of them. Just, I don't know. Weirdly enough, over 500. I've, yeah, I've been saying it since the I know you the have. season. Like, Arizona was bound to turn it around. That rhymed. So it's got to be true. But Clayton Keller's just so good. So good. Top seven winger. Or maybe, I, I can't I can't be Super Bowl, uh, give a super hot take. But he's definitely a top winger in this league. They have a solid team. And Connor Ingram is looking really good. And just going back to the Kraken, they got Joey D. So... Lock it, locking it that's, down over there. That's your boy. That's your boy. Um, other other news around the or not news, but stats around the league. The point race, Nikita Kucherov in first with eighty three points, followed by Nathan McKinnon with eighty two points. Liam, you had Nikita Kucherov winning the race. I had McKinnon winning the race. So let's see who finishes first there. But the truth of the matter is that it's not. I mean. It's close enough, but David Pasternak in third with 69 points. Thir- can't McKinnon count has a first. Yeah, you but can't, you, you can't, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a two way battle. It's a two way battle. Liam, I'm going to say it right now. I think McKinnon's making a case for best player in the NHL right now. That, that is a, that is a take. And I don't think you're completely wrong. I really think that he's making a case for best player in the NHL at this given moment. And look, say what you want. I know McDavid, like I'm, I'm in agreement. McDavid is a different breed. He comes from a different planet. I don't think he was born on earth, (laughs) but McKinnon, man, 82 points in 48 games. And yeah, Kucherov has 83 and 48, but the way that McKinnon dominates the game on the ice is the same way that McDavid dominates the game on the ice. The puck is on his stick. What he's able to do at those speeds. And look, I just think it's a lot closer than people give it give him credit for. I think he's a lot closer to McDavid than people give him credit for. And with that being said, I think it sparks an interesting conversation. And do I think McKinnon is better than McDavid right now? Yeah, I do. I do. And do I think it's by a, war- a large margin? Absolutely not. I think it's pretty much neck and neck. But I think if you're asking me to put any player on an underperforming team right now, I'm putting Nathan McKinnon. Give a like boost to that team, I'm, I'm putting Nathan McKinnon. Like we've talked about, the gap between McDavid and McKinnon, or maybe McKinnon and McDavid, is way smaller than the gap between McKinnon and the following player. This is a league that is dominated by these two guys. And when they're on the ice... You'll never have a night where you don't notice them. Nathan McKinnon, natural hat trick in six and a half minutes. He moves the puck with insane speed, and his shot is absolutely electric. But if you're giving me the choice between McKinnon and McDavid, I'm going McDavid all day. Hey, that's fine. That's totally fine. And I think it's uh, you're probably with the consensus there. I just think that, you know, Look, I could see uh, if McKinnon keeps up this pace, he's going to put up 160 points, give or take. Same thing for Kucherov. But the difference is that Kucherov, you know, dominates the game from a much more passive standpoint. McKinnon dominates the game because the puck is on his stick. And I think that although Edmonton without McDavid might be worse off than McKinnon with, uh, sorry, than than uh, the Avs without McKinnon, because you know the Avs have Makar and and they have Rantanen. Yeah, Edmonton has Dreisaitl and Hyman and Nuge and Bouchard, and I'm naming a lot of good guys, but I think Makar's a top five player in the league, and I think Rantanen's still the most underrated player in the league. So yeah, I'd say maybe if you're if you're if you're looking at it, if you take I think McKinnon's more valuable to his respective team, but I think McKinnon's individual capabilities might actually surpass McDavid to a certain extent. I'm curious to see a comparison between the records of Colorado without McKinnon and Edmonton without McDavid, because I know both teams had, I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that because I don't know if they both had success, but Dreisaitl had personal success without McDavid. But at the start of the season, when McDavid was hurt, this team was, you know, terrible. 
they legit had two wins in 15 games. So I'd, I'd like to know. I know you're pulling up those stats right now. So I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. Colorado, um, I'd like to hear from the fan base here. Are you taking, in a seven-game series, the Edmonton Oilers without McDavid or the Colorado Avalanche without McKinnon? And I think I like there's that. a very, very strong debate that this is going to seven. And I don't know who's winning I don't, it. I don't disagree. Um, just to give you, just to give you some, uh, some background, the Colorado Avalanche are 43, 25, and 5 without Nathan McKinnon all time. That's in 73 games. So obviously, still a still very, very positive record um, when McKinnon, I think that's throughout the course of his career, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to pull up McDavid's numbers, but do you have anything to say about that record by the Avs? Um, very, very strong. I mean, I'm curious how many games were accounted for when he was not the player he was. So maybe the last like three, four years would be a bit more accurate, but nonetheless, insanely, insanely good record considering he is their best player and without him, they would be pretty trash. Edmonton Oilers stats. The Edmonton Oilers have a 19, 24 and nine record without Connor McDavid. I don't know if it settles it, but that is a, it speaks uh, volume. It speaks volume. Now look, people might be, you know, like, you know, he's, he's, digging for controversies looking for like the truth is it's more just about giving more recognition to mckinnon than than anything i think that he's neck and neck if not might have the edge now if you want to tell me that mcdavid is far and away better i'm not i'm not going to sit here and debate you on that i think that there's a case to be made but i just think that like even if you want to put in perspective liam honestly having watched that i know that's a complete 360 here but having watched that habs game last night like matt barzell is a dominant player and if you put him on any other team, and I mean this, you put him on any other team, I think he's a 100-point player. Now, any other team. Let me back up. Not any other team. But I think if you put him on a, on a team that has a few, maybe has more of an offensive approach and maybe has a couple other playmakers, I mean, he's going to be over a point per game this year. That's where he's hovering at right now. And that's on a team that's that lacks offensively. And he's a dominant skater. When the puck is on his stick, he barely turns the puck over. He's all over the ice. He's probably a top five skater in the NHL. I mean, some of these guys don't get enough credit. And I know McKinnon obviously is getting credit because he's at the top of the table in terms of points. But a lot of people like to glorify McDavid just because of his highlight level plays. And, you know, he plays in a, at this point in time, a massive hockey market. But yeah. the Avs, I don't think, get as much recognition sometimes for, for the players that they're producing. And, and, and especially since McKinnon did, you know, had a sophomore slump too. Yeah, no, that's true. And going back to the Barzal point you made, on a Stanley Cup winning roster, Barzal isn't your best player, but he's definitely showing how he certainly has an impact and a, a super big impact on the game right now. And I've said in the past that Barzal is very, very similar to the way McKinnon plays in terms of dominance on the ice, maybe just not at that level that McKinnon's at. But personally, I'm a big fan, big fan of Barzal. I don't, I don't, how did this play into the debate here? Were you just well, I was about... just saying. I was just saying how there's some players that just don't get enough recognition, and it's obviously dependent on their environment too, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that first power play in for the Isles is not particular. I mean, they have Noah Dobson who's having an incredible season, and they have Brock Nelson who knows how to put the puck in the back of the net. And Horvat's been a huge addition. But I'm just saying that. I mean, if you you look back to his rookie season, Barzell had um, 80 plus points yeah. on Tavares's wing. Yeah, And all I'm saying, I'm not saying that if you put Barzell next to Tavares right now, he'd be, you know, an 100 point player. But I think I think that that's in the realm of possibilities. For sure. For sure. I, I think so, it's definitely likely. And I don't I don't know how I, I was just I was just basically saying that I think that. Like, like I said, like there's some players that don't get enough recognition. And I'm not saying that McKinnon doesn't get enough recognition, but I think that because, like I said, sometimes like sometimes the debate over McKinnon and McDavid comes up, there's a lot more of a spotlight on McDavid and his effect on the Oilers because the Oilers have consistently been a team that's underachieved. They've been a good regular, regular season team. They've made it to a couple Western Conference finals, but they've never won a cup. I mean, not never. They haven't won a cup with McDavid or Dreisaitl. And their yeah. GM continuously refuses to go out and make trades for to, to surround these guys. But when McKinnon wins the cup... And obviously he's he's properly surrounded, but when he wins the cup, it's not he doesn't 
he doesn't get all the but yeah he didn't win the con smite he wasn't uh he he wasn't the main focus in that play he wasn't run. the guy yeah he wasn't right? the guy so again maybe that sparks the debate of you know who's number one in the league right now so i mean who's, who's last question winning? i'm gonna ask you yeah last question go i'm gonna it. ask you and i know we've, we've pushed this a little longer than we thought but if you put mckinnon in the edmonton market like, I truthfully believe that he'd get as much coverage as McDavid does. You're probably I right. Really do. I really I think it also, again, it plays back to who McKinnon's playing with. He's playing with a Norris Trophy defenseman and a top, arguably top five guy in the league. So, yes, yeah, there's... Right side will also consider... Yes, that, that's what I was going to say. That's you know, what I was going to say. But, but it's kind of like the Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin. Like, Malkin was always in the shadow. I think it's because they play the same position and... I guess Makari. No, but you're right. But then every time that Mc, every time that everyone would say that you know Crosby, like Malkin's not good without Crosby. Mm -hmm. But then when Crosby was out of the lineup, Malkin's numbers were as good, if not better. Exactly, exactly. And it's the same story with Drysital and and McDavid. So again, I think that it's a similar situation because although Drysital and McDavid do play together a lot, they're both centers and they both play forward. So it's harder to distinguish i don't i don't know where i'm getting at here but the point is it's harder to to find that gap between players i don't know no 100 it's 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 not fair to compare some players because of environment and whatever i'm just saying yeah. that individual talent wise i think mckinnon is actually underrated despite doing what he's doing right now for sure um for sure. but we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at that i think that was a fun little conversation because absolutely sparks a debate let us know what you guys think if you made it to the 54 minute mark we appreciate it as always but let us know what you think because at the end of the day sports is about debating sports is about opinions and uh, we want to hear yours so yeah I'd that say was let's, uh, uh i'd say let's give a uh, quick predictions quick predictions for the upcoming week yeah so the habs saturday night playing against the pittsburgh penguins i believe in pittsburgh and then Correct. Yeah, in, in Pittsburgh. And then Tuesday against the Capitals in Washington. And then the 10th, I believe that's Friday. Yeah. Saturday. Oh, it's Saturday against the Dallas Stars in Montreal. So I guess we'll leave it at that. We'll probably yeah, we'll leave be it to back. So yeah, only only a couple games probably before. Well, we're all back. star all star break between those two games. That's uh, uh between oh. after the first two games there. That's uh sorry, after January 27th. That's why. The all star games on a it's, Wednesday? No, it's this uh it's uh it's next weekend. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. So the there's next a, game, there's the a long Washington pause. Game, yeah. Correct. Correct. Okay. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I guess a couple games we'll give our quick predictions. Sure. Um I think the Habs go one and one here. I think I think they take care of I think they they lose to Pittsburgh probably on Saturday night. And then against Washington after the long break, they probably take it to them in Washington. Um, that's about key, all I have. Key, key player. Performer. Yeah. Key performer. Well, they already gave the game tomorrow night against uh, to Jake Allen. Yeah. Um, you got to assume Primo's back in the net soon. Against Washington, maybe? He hasn't, he hasn't played since... New Jersey? No, I have it here. He hasn't played since Philly, which was January 10th. Yeah, so he's got to get one of these games. I, I mean, Probably. Pittsburgh one. But... And again, we're leaving Montembeau out of the net after a good win last night. But anyway, um, key performer. Key performer, I'll go with... Um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Nick Suzuki. Obviously a little bit bland, but I think that he's going to keep, uh, keep, keep up his point pace and actually... Uh, and uh, push his point pace a little bit uh, higher up there. I'm going to agree with you on the split there. I think they beat the Penguins. And actually, you, think you know they what? Beat the Penguins? Oh, sorry. You said loss. Yeah, I meant lose. I don't think they're going to win two in a row. Just doesn't really happen anymore. So, yeah, lose to the Penguins and then beat the Capitals. And then, oh, it's also going to be a return for a couple of Montreal players. Lars Eller. <laughs> and then Joel Edmondson, actually. And then Charlie Lindgren. And Max Pacioretty. Oh, there you go. But yeah, so Pens beat Canadians. Then the Canadians beat the Capitals. 
key player who we, we actually haven't mentioned a lot about, but he's been playing really solid, Joel Armia. Um, I like it. I'll give him that key performer of the week. And um, yeah, Montembeau quickly, 44 saves, looking really, really sharp. Not going to get into it again, but hopefully, hopefully one of our goalies are on the way out so he can get some more starts. And I want to see more Primo. I just want to see more Primo. I agree. I agree. But guys, thank you so much for listening as per usual. It's been an hour and episode, but a lot of fun topics, debates, and conversations. Um, Liam, I think one day we're going to have to get into a heated argument about something. We're going to have to disagree. We're going to yeah, have to disagree. We got to disagree. Gonna come <laughs> and, uh, but we'll, we'll, uh, well, we did already disagree a little bit. But anyway, we'll, we'll probably be back next week. Enjoy the All-Star game. If we don't get to that before that, let us know uh, how you enjoyed that. And uh, enjoy some Habs hockey, guys. We're halfway through the season. But yep. thank you guys so much for listening. As per usual, that was episode 72. I'm Justin Schwartz alongside Liam Baum. Take care, guys. <laughs>